You're listening to Consolidate That. Ukraine is my motherland. It is now under a savage attack by Russia. Ukraine is shielding Europe and the rest of the civilized world from Putin's barbaric aggression. Ukrainians are brave and effectively fighting back. Let's help. Make a donation to Armed Forces of Ukraine. Link is in the show notes. Hashtag Stand with Ukraine. Welcome back to Consolidate That. Ivan, it's uh, great to, to see you again today. I'm excited about our episode. We're doing another, what I call Ivan and Ryan, kickback. Is that a cool term? Do people use that term still? I don't know. Fire chat? <laughs> uh, a fireside chat, but now that I'm in Dallas, there's no more winter, so no more fire. And no more winter. This is like minus 18 Celsius where I'm at. It's over. It's after Valentine's Day. We are done. But we are going to talk about something interesting today. We wanted to kind of do a crossover episode a bit. We're going to talk a lot about the two-part episode that Freakonomics did. I know a lot of people that listen to our show probably listen to Freakonomics or have were sent the episode, and they did a two-part series about do you know who owns your vet? And they dove into private equity ownership of the veterinary market and also the consolidation that's happening in it. And as the preeminent veterinary consolidation podcast in the world, we figured it was our duty to, to dive into that a little bit. So Ivan, why don't you you kick it off? And, and anyone that hasn't listened to that episode, we'll, we'll make sure we link them in the show description. So it's definitely something uh, interesting to listen to as well. Well, I want to I wanna start with just saying that we're not doing this to ride the fame of another podcast, but it's because I had this episode forwarded to me probably 30 times. <laughs> People said, did you hear this? So yes, finally I heard it. And I think, uh, I think they did a good job. I think they did a good job about kind of talking about the nature of the private equity, describe what they do. They talked about the monopoly risk. Uh, they talked about uh, the risk that the private equity brings. And then they, interviewed number of people that was interesting perspective from different sides to the actual a action of consolidation so so i think ryan if you want to yeah you went to pretty deep on this can you just outline the characters sort of the personas that they interviewed yes think <clears throat> so they um from the veterinary side of thing and the veterinary consolidation side i think they did a an interview with Greg Hartman, who's the CEO of NVA. They also interviewed three economists um, who all brought kind of unique and different side of things to the conversation. And then they also interviewed a DVM, which I'm glad that they did not miss that vital slice of the, of the conversation. I think um, you, there's very easy for someone to have done this podcast without interviewing a doctor. So yeah, so they interviewed all sides of those things. I, you know, I I want to open by just giving a lot of credit to to Greg Hartman with NVA. I think he did a wonderful job of representing what we all want to see from consolidation. I think he did a really great job as well of not kind of baiting into to topics that maybe he wasn't as up to date on or versed on. And I think he did a a, a great job representing everything. And you know, he there was a a top a bullet point that I highlighted that he said he said. Uh, talk to a dozen, talk to 20, talk to 50 other folks, human beings that have owned hospitals and partnered with NBA. And, you know, NBA is somewhat our Galaxy Vets competitor, but I think if we're all pushing towards the same goal, you can listen to a podcast, but talk to 20 or 50 people that have partnered and you'll get a better taste than just a, an hour podcast. 
Yeah, I, I I also agree that, you know, it was a pretty tough kind of interview to be on for Greg. And I think he did a phenomenal job actually staying neutral. I also feel bad for Thrive because I have a lot of friends that work there and they kind of bash them without letting people from Thrive to talk about mm-hmm. it. So, you know, one person experience doesn't tell you the whole picture. I know lots and lots of hospitals that did join Thrive or Pathway and they're very happy. In fact, um, we, we know quite a few. So, but I think what would be interesting is to just unpack, you know, different roles in the, in the, in just veterinary world and see how consolidation is affecting everybody. So I think that Ryan, you, uh, if you were to outline those roles that we should frame it around, who would you list and we can tackle one at a time? Yeah. So I think we could, let's start with the corporate view. Cause I think that's, that's who was on trial in some ways. So I think if we talk about the corporate side of the business or so the the executive teams, as well as the leadership, also sort of on trial and, and up for discussion was the finance and the, the private equity and the funding behind the, the space. Um, and then also within that, I think the, you know, the economists and the people that spoke there. And then I think DVMs, the, the people, and they just spoke about DVMs, but I think the important piece there would not just be DVMs, but every person within the clinic. Yeah, I would agree. And, and, and let, let's start there. Let's start with the executive teams because it's different from corporate. And that's sometimes a challenge because the hospitals, as, you know, as we work with our hospitals and discover it, they think that the private equity itself, the, the group and the executive team are the same and the same evil. A lot of the times we see that. And, and I think it could be the case uh, depending on what they are, uh, what their purpose behind it doing this. And uh, if executive team doesn't introduce things that are accepted with trust, and if there's no trust in the executive team, I think that's where it all breaks apart. Um, And it depends on the A messaging and then your act. And actually, those two are very hard to connect as we discover, because you could have the best intention in the world, but the execution is very difficult. And if along the way you partner with the team, uh, with the private equity team that is not fully bought into your thesis and change agenda mid-flight, then that also can really hinder the reality. So, so for example, you're starting with the best intention to improve industry. You partner with the private equity firm that says we're also all about this. And then all of a sudden, once they invested or essentially bought you out, and that's what happens if you're their majority investor, then they can fire CEO, they can put a different CFO, they can put their new agenda in, and it's radically different from what they agreed upon. That's why we're so careful about choosing who we partner with, because it's really difficult to get on the same page up on the front. And um, and I think that that's, that's the fundamentally important thing, that when the management teams are looking to partner with the private equity, they have to be lockstep on the same page. So the strategy that is outlined is actually then executed on, not just, uh, you know, we need to buy X number of clinics in the, in the number of months, which also could be a strategy. This, there's nothing wrong with that. Because private equity is coming in. I love, I think that Apple Bomb, I think she said that the private equity is coming in not because they love pets. And I 100% agree with that. Private mm-hmm. equity, I, at some point at, Di- at IDEX, I created this diagram of level of interest, how, you know, pets want to be happy. Owners want to be their pets to be happy. Doctors in the clinics want the owners to be happy and the pets being healthy. And then private equity wants to have happy investors. 
And there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect in values. There's a disconnect in purpose. There's a disconnect in the goal. And uh, if you don't have those things connected, there, that's where it fundamentally breaks. So as long as you're connected all the way through, I think that could be very beneficial. But what we've seen, unfortunately, quite a few of these organizations, they are articulating one thing but they're actually after another thing. And what they talk about in the boardroom is not the same as they're talking in the uh, hospital huddles. So that would be my take on the corporate yeah. sort of executive team. Yeah, I, I think that you also have found that, as we talked about in the last episode with, um, and you know at the beginning of the season with the trends in the market, um, we are no longer seeing the, what they call in the, in the free economics episode, squeeze and sell. You know, there's not, people have already squeezed and sold. And now the people that are buying the second batch of these clinics in a lot of times are need, you know, looking and excited about the buy and build side of things, which we've, we've highlighted the arbitrage versus the margin expansion. And so that's something that's, that I think is key for, for the, the differentiation today. Well, and uh, you know, the buy and squeeze, I mean, there's immediate, we talked about our value creation plan and different growth levers. They still exist. There's still 75% of clinics in North America that are not acquired. And there's still an opportunity in what I would call quick wins, uh, such as pricing change, which they emphasize on. And they're saying, well, will the prices go up and the corporate will bring you pricing? Some vets never changed their pricing for the last five years. And essentially, they're not following the inflation. They're under pressure to, to provide bonuses and increase salaries, but they're not reflecting it in their pricing. Their workflow has been the same, so they're not improving uh, the productivity of the clinics so technically hitting their EBITDA because of the demand of increasing the salaries so having an economic look at it not just emotional is very important and then when they when the private equity uh, not even private equity when the people with the business acumen and the training come in and look at the business increasing pricing to match the inflation rate is just logical that's what everybody does and if the vets are behind on that that's just one of the things you do when you when you start with them and then you look at the other things that are quick wins if if you're a large platform you have the buying power so that's also still exists in all of these privately owned clinics but then once the bigger consolidator buys the smaller consolidator those are all sort of what you or they refer to as squeeze and sell those are all executed all of those growth levers, and then you need to come up with a true operational efficiency or operational excellence techniques to actually make the practice more productive. But this is where you run into the next layer of problems. Why would the vet want to increase productivity, increase number of appointments, increase revenue, EBITDA, or anything else? How do you actually go to the vet, which the vet was quite negative about in this episode, quite negative about the corporate ownership, and I understand that because I was working in wonderful practice and then all of a sudden it was bought. And then now all of a sudden I'm told that I need to do this and do that to produce more. What's my benefit behind it? And I, and I, you know, I agree with that. Beth. Yeah. Yeah. I think Dr. Peters who they had, I, I think she was very well spoken and eloquent and, and spoke a lot and said a lot of great things about her experience. But I do think that like you said, you know, she was a, a vet within a specialty clinic and she was a non-owner in a very large clinic. And I think that that's something that's probably missing, right? Everyone within the space knows the differences that a specialty and ER has versus a general practice. And if you aren't day in and day out really understanding the finances behind what's going on, like you said, 
we see practices that are selling their medicines at a loss because they haven't <laughs> updated the inventory basis. And so it's, I don't know if it was a fair shake on the idea of, okay, prices went up. Well, was the practice acquired because there was the opportunity for prices to go up because they were selling under value? Was there, you know, a reduction in staff because they were running at too high of staffing numbers? And you know, maybe the previous owners just said, well, we just like to keep everyone on and keep them at the hours, but maybe the business was running at a loss or something to that effect. So there's an interesting there thing there. And I think for us, the way we tackle that within Galaxy Vets is the idea of getting the owner's mindset. So you don't have to have been the owner or still be the owner of the practice, but having that equity and that skin in the game to be able to feel engaged in what's happening so that when the price, if the price goes up, or if the hours change or the length of appointments shifts down, you can look at that and say, okay, I can see what the end goal impact is and, and also find, you know, an increase of access to care for, for the patients and, and additional growth levers that, that exist there. Well, the, the other interesting thing that they did mention in, in the episode, which I think was, it, it was kind of the opposing issues. They said that, well, the prices may go up. But at the same time, a little later in the episode, they're talking about the that the wages don't pace with the economy. But essentially, those two are in juxtaposition of basically trying, you know, if you don't raise pricing according to the economy change and inflation, but you do want your, your wages to go up, well, how do you do that? You need to you need both to go up to to validate that. So so I think that was interesting that they put both as negative, but not thinking that the two have to be related. Yeah. Um, and they also hit on the fact that when a private equity group purchases a privately owned company that it does tend to increase the amount of employment that's done within that space. It also reduces workplace injuries. It also reduces um, issues for the employees. I think that's probably where there was some of the difficulty there. There was looking at the data as private equity does this or ownership changes and it does this. Whereas I think they did hit on later that there was a major shift of buying small private companies and keeping them private through private equity versus buying a large public company, like which is something that uh, BlackRock does often, right? They find a, a public company that has, you know, opportunity within there, they buy it and take it, take it private again. And in those situations, they did find that there were issues with labor or uh, reduction of staff. But that was, you know, that was something that we don't come across often in the veterinary space. I, I guess you saw it with VCA a long time yep. ago. Um, but that's kind of the only one I can think of off the top of my head that was public and, and then went back. Well, that's the only one that was public, actually. So yeah. <laughs> there's not, there's not many. It's a very small sample size for the vet space. Yeah. But I, but I agree with you. And, and kind of going back to, you know, to the whole point of staff satisfaction and the employee satisfaction and veterinarian, it's, it's interesting that it's almost like this phenomena that, you know, that, that was described in the innovation dilemma by, Clayton Christensen, awesome book, actually. And he's talking about the innovation and the people that are taking taking the deals from suppliers on particular parts, or they're taking different niche of the market and taking smaller market, which essentially makes sense. But then at the end of the day, 
uh, it kind of bankrupts them. And the the very typical example was with the Dell when they outsourced a bunch of stuff to Asus and started outsourcing to the motherboard and then soundboard and everything else. And then at the end of the day, Dell didn't have any parts. And then Asus arise as a as a separate entity, completely sort of killing Dell. But but it's the same thing about the sellers of the practices. So basically, everybody wants the sellers of the practices to go back to this situation where it's you know the vet retires and sells it to one of the associates or to the associates that's great but what an opportunity is open to those vets that worked hard and then selling it to you know 15 well not anymore but last two years you know 15 17 multiple why would that person sell to the associate when there's such a huge reward for their entire career and they can do it once in a lifetime so you know you can complain as much as you want about that but the fact is why would the person and, and it doesn't mean that if you sell it to the next associate, it's going to be a better experience. The next mm -hmm. associate might be terrible at business and terrible leader and all other things. So you could actually hit on both sides and not have a better leader. And, and of course, you, you, you know, worked with them for a longer time and you can assist them a little better. But fundamentally, I think what private equity did, at least for the sellers, they can really benefit from the project of their lifetime and then have an incredible retirement, which these you know, thoroughly deserve. But then yeah. if you look at people that don't benefit from transaction, how do you get them involved? And you mentioned employee ownership, which is, you know, our passion and the part of our, our thesis. But as you're looking at the practices that we have, we haven't yet excelled in inserting the knowledge of that because explaining to people that they have non-tangible, you know, share, well, they're tangible, they're there, but shares that they are responsible now in growth is very difficult for people mm -hmm. that are passionate about treating pets and explaining to them that doing it more efficiently, decreasing the waste in the hospital, coming up with the new ways of doing it, the cause and effect is very remote. So there's so much education that needs to be given to people on the on the floor on the front lines doctors technicians receptionists they all are shareholders in galaxy but at the end of the day they don't feel this way because you need to go through a tremendous amount of education and that's what national center of employee ownership is actually focused on and we're now going through a lot of different training that we need to provide to our people before we implement any change so they actually understand that bringing in workflow optimization is valid and why it is. And then uh, bringing in, you know, raising prices to go back to that and everything else, because they just don't think in those. That's not the angle that they're used to looking at this. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it was definitely interesting. They, they hit on a ton of things. I think they, you know, everyone that comes into the vet space, I'm, still somewhat new to the vet space, but anytime someone new comes into the vet space and I get a chance to meet with them, I say, there's a ton of things at play here that don't overlap with your previous experience, whether it was dialysis that they talked about or dental or, you know, private equity ownership of fast food restaurants. I don't think that the, it's a one-to-one -one exchange. And I think that some more data and research that they will be doing and probably are doing around the, the private equity ownership of veterinary practices will be very interesting. Um, and I'd love to, you know, as we grow, we're going to continue to do our research. And as you all know, we're very research and data driven. I think it would be cool to see what sort of uh, output we get from people that stay with us. If someone leaves, understanding what that looks like. Um, the, the one person that they definitely left off the podcast was a selling practice owner of a general practice. That's 
that's what that 25% of consolidation is. Uh, those are the people that most deeply understand, in my view, what happened, what's happening. Um, and so that's what our next episode is going to be. Um, so they did a two-part episode. So we're going to do a two-part episode somewhat. We're going to have a, an incredible doctor, Dr. Jeff Smith, uh, out of our practice in Virginia, join us to the beginning. We're just going to talk a little bit with him about kind of his view on what it's like selling a practice. And, and then we're going to dive into some more things um, outside of that too. Yeah, no, that's great. I think that that's uh, that was the missing part there. So it'll be interesting to invite one of our partners and then see what his opinion is about the private equity. Well, until next week, um, again, if you want to listen to the, the Freakonomics episode, we will post it uh, down below in the, in the show description. And then next week, we will have Dr. Smith with us to, to give another view on everything. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Ryan. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at galaxyvets.com.